Welcome back to Anaya Hate Podcast, a forum to discuss and combat student hate. I'm Michi Sin, and I have the incredible privilege of talking to my congressman, Mr. Scott Peters, while he is here in the district. Congressman Peters represents California District 52, and today's podcast will focus on what the congressman has seen at the local and national levels regarding hate incidents, especially those involving young people. We will talk about how the legislation that Congressman Peters has sponsored or co-sponsored promotes inclusiveness and equity, especially within the educational setting. This, of course, directly affects hate. In particular, I would love to learn more about the Student Non-Discrimination Act of 2015 and the STEM Opportunities Act. Before we talk about combating student hate, I want to personally thank Congressman Peters for several things. First, and we got this out just for this podcast, I really appreciate the certificate of special congressional recognition that you awarded me when I won Genius Junior when I was 10 years old. I was so honored to receive this and I'm showing it here, though our podcast listeners will not be able to see it. I want you to know that the recognition meant a lot to me and my family. And second, I'm grateful for your efforts in Congress on behalf of education and especially of your support of female students. So can you give your audience a little background on yourself and share with us why you are committed to public service and maybe why you have always celebrated and encouraged students? Well, thank you, Michi. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you. Um, a little bit about me. I So I grew up in a, in a family dedicated to service. My dad is a minister. He's retired now, but we fought, he fought housing segregation. Uh, segregation in the Detroit suburbs. So back in the late 60s, if you were Jewish or African-American mostly, you could not buy a house in some neighborhoods. The realtors just wouldn't show it to you. So uh, he and a lot of the clergy got together and um, made a fight about that. They thought that was the wrong thing. And to the point that at one one point, the police told us that um, maybe it would be safer for him if he took the family out of town for a week. So that's actually how I got my first uh, trip to Washington, D.C. We had a driving trip to Washington, D.C. Uh, from uh, from Detroit. So um, services in my blood, I never had, I, I did um, go to college on, with some, the help of some student loans. We didn't have a lot of money. Uh, I was able to go to law school and then I just went out into a law firm because I had to make money and I thought maybe public service was something I could do on the side. Um, but as my career developed and we got more flexibility, I started moving toward a, a job in the county government as a lawyer, and then I decided that um, maybe if I were on the city, was on the city council, I could serve my community better. So, knocked on a lot of doors um, and was able to be elected in 2000 to the city council. Became the first city council president, uh, which was a great honor and really fun. Uh, then, when I was termed out, I went to the port commission. I did that for four years. A part of that time, I was the chair there. And then it was a natural thing for me to try to take that to uh, Washington, D.C. I didn't do it till my kids were older. I mean, my, my, my daughter was in college. My son was uh, a high school senior. So by the time I elected, he was, he was in, by the time I was elected to Congress, he was in college. Uh, and since 2013, I've been proud to serve this district as a member of Congress, keeping uh, San Diego as the first part of my portfolio. Wow, that's really, really interesting. We are all so glad that you are serving our district. And I really think that the uh, kind of background in law to public service 
uh, like pipeline, I guess, is really, really interesting. That's something that I've always wanted to pursue myself ever since I uh, became interested in the humanities and in addition to STEM. Um, so all of the work that you've done has been really, really important. But like I said in the introduction, particularly, I'd like to talk about uh, the STEM Opportunities Act, because I understand that recently, uh, February 11th, so this past Friday, I believe, was the International Day of Women and Girls in Science, um, which is very, very important to me as a woman in STEM. So can you give a little background on like your work on the STEM Opportunities Act and why you think that having that representation in STEM is important? Well, you know, I rep part of representing San Diego, I look at the four, there's four economies that drive San Diego. One is the military, which is about 20% of our jobs. Uh, one is the border. There's a lot of trade that happens at the border. Tourism is a big part of our economy because we're lucky to live in a place where people pay to visit. But science and technology is really the exciting thing. You know, we're the place where Qualcomm was founded. They developed the backbone for cell phones. Uh, and we're probably the third leading biotechnology center, certainly in the country, maybe in the world here in San Diego. And what we want to make sure is that everyone has a chance to participate in that, um, that bounty, that, uh, those opportunities. And for some reason, um, for, for, many, for many years, and that um, this is something that just men were going into without women being interested. And I, I love men, I'm a man myself, but if you don't have everyone participating, you're not getting all the brain power that you need it can really power this economy. So we want to make sure that, um, that women are encouraged, that they feel welcome, that they feel um, stimulated and valued in STEM. And so that's the, that's the reason why we've tried to create incentives uh, for um, young people like you to, to go into that. Yeah, definitely. I think that all of that is really important, like the inclusivity or even just from like the outside looking in the perception that there are people like you succeeding in STEM and that like this whole mentality of like, if they can do it, I can do it too. Mm -hmm. I think that that representation in that way is really, really important. So can you more specifically tell us about how um, like the STEM Opportunities Act and how opportunity and equity could lead to reducing hate? Yes. So um, I think, yeah, first of all, Nietzsche, I'd love to hear kind of what interests you about this. Like, what was it about you that, um, what, what, was, what was so bold about you that you said you could go into this? Did you perceive any barriers? Um, but go ahead. Oh, yeah. Um, so when I was little, I'm very fortunate to have grown up in a very, you know, diverse area, very accepting area. area. So I never really faced um, like external borders to people telling me that I couldn't do things or that I shouldn't do things. Uh, my parents were always very supportive. My friends and family were always very supportive. But I definitely did face like kind of internal pressures to achieving the things that I wanted to. And a lot of the like a lot of overcoming that came from being able to see like people like me succeeding in really high important roles. For example, um, when I was in fifth grade, I didn't understand the ins and outs of like the government, all of that. And, um, but I did know of like 
key figures, key people. And one of my hugest roles, role models, hugest, I don't know if hugest is a word. One of my biggest role models when I was around that age was always um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And yeah. And I think for my, I don't remember which birthday was it, it was, but it was definitely a birthday. I got her like Funko Pop and I was ecstatic. And so just seeing a woman as powerful as Ruth Bader Ginsburg be able to succeed somewhere like the Supreme Court, that was incredibly empowering. So so that's why I think that that representation is really, really important. Cool. I think also, as you said, it started at home. So you had you had role models at home that mm-hmm. people were saying, "Okay, this is for you. You can do what you want." And um, you know, you and I aren't going to be uh, NBA basketball players, but there's lots of things we can be, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's um, that's really good. So the, the mental illness part of it, I think, um, is a little bit the same because you know. The, a lot of um, a lot of mental illness happens from alienation and a feel a feeling that you can't succeed that you have a hope right. So if you feel that you have no hope that you can't succeed, I mean that can be very depressing, and um, it, it sort of goes along with this sense that I don't have an opportunity, right? So you know, you and I were wired by our parents. My parents were very pro education. Basically, if you work hard, um, you, your job is to work hard, and then we'll, we'll make sure that you that you succeed. You'll have opportunity. We believe that, and we experience it. We experience that. Um, other people don't see that, and if you don't see a way forward, if you don't see those opportunities, if you don't see maybe Ruth Bader Ginsburg or or, or Sally Ride or someone who's um, a very accomplished person who feels like that you could you could be them that feel like you. Um, I think that that could be very alienating and, and difficult. The sense of hopelessness is really mostly associated with mental illness. Yeah, definitely. And that sense of hopelessness, it's genuinely very, very terrible. Um, so what about the STEM Opportunities Act? Uh, number one, kind of like um, helps that. And uh, what else do you hope will result from it? The, You know, I'm not sure that I think the STEM Opportunities Act is more directed toward making sure that sort of, sort of on, on its own that everyone is encouraged mm-hmm. to participate in STEM. That might have a side benefit on, men, on mental illness if that's what you're asking, but it's not really that direct. Yeah. Basically, uh, I think the, the idea is what we wanna do is create a pool of talent that's as big as it can be. Um, okay. And I think there's other things we're doing on mental illness around school that are, that are more directly related to that. We have the Stand Up Act. We have, we have a bill, and this was, the, the kids at, at Bernardo Heights Middle School taught me about this. They were working with Sandy Hook. And, um, you know, kids have a hard time in middle school. Even when I was in middle school, way before social media, middle school's a tough time. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, kids can be pretty brutal to each other. And I, I find that, the more anonymous people are, the more brutal they can be. If you look at Twitter, the meanest people are always the one who are anon- ones who are anonymous. And I just imagine that, that that kind of, there's a meanness around, and I know there's a meanness around social media sometimes. It can be really tough for kids. And, you know, we've seen a lot of them go off and commit suicide or even do things, do violence. Um, what we've done is we've, we've gotten, we've enlisted the community to look out for each other, to look for signs, whether you're an administrator or a teacher or a student, to make sure that that kid that you're worried about 
is noticed and can get help. Um, you know, we, I just saw that the Sandy Hook parents did a big settlement with, the, with Remington, the gun maker. We don't want those things to happen anymore. I mean, that's the, that's the worst outcome of it. Mm -hmm. um, but um, those are the things we're doing that are more direct, directly related to dealing with those issues. We also find that if kids feel that they're part of a community of support, that they tend to behave better toward each other as well. They see that they're responsible for the health of the community. Uh, it empowers them to be better, uh, better citizens. Yeah, definitely. And I think that this like um, kind of hate that you mentioned with regards to bullying is obviously it's very bad, very pervasive. And like you said, I think that one of the major ways to help is to be an upstander and to see other students advocating for themselves in order to combat hate and kind of that on balance, like um, that on balance set of like upstanders advocacy, all of that is very, very important to combating hate. And this actually brings me to another piece of legislation that you've co-sponsored. By the way, that's that, that's a cool word. I never heard the word upstander. I like that. Yeah, I yeah. I actually heard it from um, Dr. Cheryl James Ward, who was on our second podcast. And I right, thought right. that concept was very interesting. Yeah. Um, so that actually brings me to kind of like this idea of combating hate through advocacy, being an upstander, stuff like that. It brings me to another piece of legislation that you've co-sponsored, which was the student non-discrimination act of 2015 so what was the basis for this legislation and um like what is the significance of equal opportunity in public schools especially yeah you know i i have to um i have to confess i don't remember what happened to that bill it was 2015 you know if that's come along um uh, what do you mean by that has that been uh, has that been referred to committee or is this sort of a did, did that get anywhere? We haven't talked about that one in a while. Um, I'm not completely sure about that, actually. Um, you know, again, I think what we're trying to do is make sure that the playing field is level for everyone, that you can yeah. succeed. Basically, that you have a chance to succeed, um, you know, no matter how you, whether your parents were in school, which is the main driver, what zip code you're in. I mean, you're fortunate to be in one of the best school systems, uh, I think, in the country. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually went to a wonderful public school uh, in Westfield, New Jersey. Um, and, and my parents told me basically, um, if you study hard, we'll figure out a way to pay for it. And they got, you know, my sisters and I went to Duke Columbia Northwestern and Wittenberg, which is an expensive, uh, also expensive public school or private school in Ohio because of student loans. We want everyone to have that opportunity and also to believe that they can have that opportunity. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think that's generally the, the, the thrust of what we're trying to, to accomplish. Um, I want every kid to have the chance that I had as a middle-class American kid. Oh, for sure. I completely agree with that. I think both of us are incredibly, incredibly lucky to both have families that really are enthusiastic about education and to be in like really good school systems that have good education, 
um, stuff like that. And you mentioned my school district. I love SDUHSD. I think I've been in SDUHSD since seventh grade and I've loved every second of it. Um, my school specifically, Canyon Crest Academy is wonderfully diverse mm -hmm. and I'm sure our congressional district is diverse and you represent people from all different demographics, but are you encountering any like philosophical or ideological differences with your colleagues in the House of Representatives who may represent less diverse regions in our country? That's a really perceptive question. Michi. I'll just say too, by the way, about the district, it's the 10th best educated congressional district in the country out of 435. Uh, and that's surprising until you look around your neighborhood and you see in places like Rancho Penasquitos, Carmel Valley, uh, Rancho Bernardo, the engineers that come here and, and work for places like Qualcomm and um, defense companies and biotech companies. So we are we are a um, brain-powered economy here. Not everyone is. And I think one of the things that you, you observe is that, you know, um, for me, uh, I'm really proud of a bill that I, I actually passed um, to help with student loan repayment. Um, student loans is a big problem here for, for a lot of folks because a lot of folks went to college and they're, they're burdened with student loans. Our bill, which passed, um, allows an employer to pay up to $5,250 a year of your student loans as an employee uh, for you without that being taxable to you as income. So it's a huge benefit to both the employer who wants to recruit employees and to the employee who gets student loans paid off basically tax-free um, but you know, in a lot of, in a lot of places, um, student loans isn't an issue because they're not so college driven. You have places like in West Texas, I just visited uh, an area that's, that the economy is based on oil and gas extraction. Student loans is not the biggest thing on their mind. So what you have to do is you have to find enough of a community of interest uh, around the country that you can get the majority that you need to get things passed. And, um, it is true that not every place is like San Diego and not every place is like Carmel Valley. And certainly, I mean, Canyon, Canyon Crest is an exceptional, exceptional school um, yeah, and, um, you know, really remarkable, inquisitive kids. By the way, I, when I was on the city council, I opened that school um, because uh, it was going to be delayed for a year because the city was in the way of getting the infrastructure there. Uh, um, and um, we actually got it open on time, but even though there were some trailers, that's well before your time. Mm. Maybe you weren't even born in 2005, but, um, but uh, it's, uh, it's a great place. Yeah, that's really cool. Actually, I think some of my teachers that have been teaching at CCA for like a while have talked about um, like a year where a bunch of classes were in trailers. And I just think that that's really, really interesting. It sounds and, bad, but they were happy with it that year because yeah, uh, Torrey yeah. Pines was so so crowded and the parents mm -hmm. really wanted to get the school open. But it's, it's turned out to be, you know, literally one of the best schools in the country. Yeah, definitely. I'm just so glad that that happened as soon as possible because I love my school. I love the teachers and the students at my school. Right. And I'm really fortunate to have um, like people in Congress on the House of Representatives, stuff like that, that advocate for education, specifically in this area. I think that that's incredibly important. And you mentioned other places that maybe don't prioritize it as much. Are there any kinds of resources for students in those areas that look to like advocate for themselves or their own educational interests? You know, I would say that's a hard thing because you know, think about our parents. Our parents are, were advocates for us, right? And mm -hmm. we could watch that happen. We understood how it happened. 
um, it's just not, it's just not, doesn't make sense to a lot of people. A lot of people um, think that, um, you know, you have adults that think their voice don't matter. I mean, can you imagine uh, being, being, um, you know, a 16 year old in that situation, trying to get an education, you don't know where to turn to be an advocate. You figure I got what I got. And so, yeah, that's, that's a challenge. It's sort of like, that's why I think one of the best predictors of how a person's going to do um, is how their parents did. It's not just money, but it's the skills, it's the education, it's the savvy to know how to navigate the world and how to exert power. Um, just parenthetically, one of my missions as a member of Congress has been to take young people, whether they're interns on my campaign or my office, and sort of teach them about government and how to make sure that they understand how to interact. So most of them won't be in government, but when they are an adult out there in the world, they'll be able to understand the power of a constructive email or the power of organizing a group to, to make change. Um, because even for kids who aren't in well-educated families, that's not always intuitive, but certainly it's difficult in a lot of areas where people just don't, don't understand how to exercise their power and, and, and gain leverage. Yeah, definitely. I think that this whole, um, like this idea of teaching um, like concepts or awareness or ability to prioritize certain things, value certain things, is something that people don't really talk about when they talk about like a formal education. People think of like hard closed skills like math, language arts, social studies, stuff like that. And I think um, this is this is a quote, but um, when I was little, I think my mom told me this. It was either my mom or a teacher. And it was that the whole purpose of education is to turn mirrors into windows. And I completely agree with that. And I think this idea of prioritizing certain issues, raising awareness, or even looking within and evaluating how, like, or evaluating one's priorities is really, really important. And I think it can be used to combat hate. So in your opinion, what are other ways, especially that are accessible for students that um, to combat hate? Um, you know, actually I had, I had a, um, a couple of experiences where um, I thought students did, did a really good job. And um, there were two that were organizing around gun violence. One was at Westview High School and one was at, um, gosh, it was in a place in Pacific Beach. My staff said a bunch of eighth graders are doing a um, forum on gun safety. And I thought, okay, that's cool. I'll show up for the eighth graders. You know, I want to be supportive of students. I didn't think it was, it was not particularly useful for my, you know, I'm, eighth graders don't vote, but I still, you know, I thought it was still important for me uh, as a representative to get out there and talk. Well, I'll tell you what, they filled that arena because what kids do is they talk to their parents. And when two rows of, eighth graders up front wanted to talk about gun violence, they dragged their parents and the whole place was full. So this is also true when I was a young person, uh, we had the first ads about how dangerous tobacco was. And it was the kids who tore up their parents' cigarettes because they saw those ads. So start with your parents, start with your family, right? Um, that's a tremendous way to have influence. Once your parents are interested, and parents care most about their kids, every politician knows, Parents care most about their kids, mess with their kids. Look what's happening around the controversy over masks. Those are very, very heated discussion, masks in schools, um, because parents will fight for their kids. So first I'd start with your kids. 
Um, and then I, um, the, the one at Westview was they just invited politicians to come address Westview High School. And um, it was a great way for us to get in the community. We, we have a hard time sometimes getting into schools where the community meets. The students invite an elected official in, which they never think to do. Um, that's a really helpful way to make sure that they hear what you're talking about. And then finally, I'd say there's a lot of opportunities for you and your colleagues. Like, you know, I don't know if you're in science, you, you probably want to go volunteer in a lab and that's great. But a lot of people who are interested in government can volunteer on campaigns or in, um, in government offices. We take interns all the time um, and interns often become employees. But even if they don't, they learn a lot about how things work and, you know, what works and what doesn't work. And so those are all ways to get engaged. Did that answer your question? Yeah, definitely. I think that that's very important, uh, starting with parents, because my uh, parents always told me that they were my greatest advocate. And that's definitely reflected in a lot of these big major changes that are happening. Starting with the parents is really important. Um, how can I or like other students my age help? Well, um, Michi, you're doing a... Um, you know, a podcast, and I think not everyone does that. So the fact that you've had me on to talk about these issues will help us engage. Folks can go to my website to, to see um, you know, all the work we're doing, not just in education, but on climate and things that are San Diego related. Um, and you can certainly engage around that. I think that you get the word out is a really great way for you to help. Um, and to the extent that someone's working on something that you care about, um, you know, you know, this may surprise you, but it's amazing how little constructive input we get. We get a lot of people uh, yelling at us, you know, which, which you sort of like filter out. So, you know, it's not, that's not really how you make things work. But when someone who says, hey, I really appreciate what you're doing. Have you thought about it this way? And tries to engage in a constructive way. You'd be amazed how anyone can have a real big influence. And so I just think getting the word out about that and and then, you know, Get, getting your, your own views in about content is, is really helpful. Perfect. Okay. Those were all great suggestions. And overall, this has been super informative and an inspiring discussion. It's really encouraging to know that you and other members of Congress are committed to fighting discrimination and increasing opportunities in fields like STEM. And um, it's clear from this discussion that the changes we need to make as a nation are definitely complicated, but we have people like you who are fighting for us every single day, which is so, so important. So thank you so much for taking the time time to talk to me and to do this podcast. Um, through Anaya I want to continue to facilitate these conversations and be a voice that can help others, like you said, and especially other students. So thank you so much for the work that you do for our district. And I'll end it with a shout out to Girls in STEM, Girl Power, and happy late um, women, International Women in STEM Day. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Michi. Mm -hmm. And I believe